I don't know if you came expecting anything this morning or to meet with God this morning or what you expect, but it, it, I believe that God is going to speak to your life today in kind of the ways that you do not expect it may catch you off guard a little bit. Um, you see, when we go to the books of the Bible, one of the reasons why we do that is because there's things in the Bible that I would never talk about unless we were going through it. For example, this morning, I've been a pastor over 15 years. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on emotions. I'm just not going to say, hey, let me just preach a sermon on emotions. But since we're in Proverbs, and this is one of the issues that comes up over and over again in Proverbs, we're going to talk about emotions. And it is challenging to talk about because many of us are emotionally complex and we have a variety of strong emotions that seem to grab a hold of us and take over our lives from time to time. And so this is what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to kind of figure out and better understand these strong emotions in our lives and how to deal with them. Because that's kind of where we're going. So let's go ahead and stand. And I'm going to read a variety of Proverbs. When we do these topical ones from Proverbs, there's nowhere to look in your Bible. So you just have to listen to me as I read a variety of one, uh, verses on emotions from Proverbs. Just listen. Listen to the Word of God. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Anxiety at a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. You may be seated. You know, I don't want to turn this morning into one, one big counseling session, okay? And that's kind of not my goal, but if that's what happens, that's what happens. And so that's just where we're going to go today, talking about emotional, what's going on inside of us. Um, I like to read a lot of material that comes from this group called CCEF. Uh, one of the authors is David Powelson. Another is um, Ed Welch. It's kind of a biblical counseling center. Maybe you're familiar with it. But Ed Welch has written an article called Strong emotions, extreme confidence. Strong emotions, extreme confidence. And the gist of the article is, it goes like this, is that when emotion, when there's an emotion in your life that is strong, it is, it's really confident. And it's so confident that it tries to rule your life. And what happens, we tend to buy into these strong emotions that enter into our lives. And regardless of what God says in his word, regardless of what other people say, we tend to buy into these strong emotions when they try to rule and reign over our lives. So let's just do a little exercise here, an example of how this works in your life. If you've ever been angry before, let's say you're angry and I come up to you and I try to tell you that your anger may be wrong. 
well, what are you going to say? For the most part, you're going to think that your anger is justified, whether it's wrong or, or, or right. You're going to have no ambivalence, no shades of gray, because anger is confident and very sure of itself. What about the strong emotion of fear? What if I tell you when you're feeling strong emotions of fear that there's going to be grace for you tomorrow? Will you buy into it? What about the, the strong emotion for those of you who maybe sometimes swing to two extremes and you have um, uh, manic episodes? And so try telling mania that the choices that you're making may be wrong. Like maybe at the, if you're feeling very manic this past week and you see the lottery that you can win millions of dollars and you're sure <laughs> you're going to win it, so you put huge chunks of money down. And regardless if you win it or not, you're pretty sure that everything's going to work out fine no matter what. That's, that's kind of that mania kind of speaks to you and takes a hold of your lives and makes you think everything's going to be fine. Whatever you do is going to be successful regardless of reality. What about the emotion of depression? Depression tends to be one of the most strongest, stubborn emotions. Try telling an emotional, depressed person that it's going to be okay. Try speaking truth into their lives, and nine times out of ten, they're not going to hear any of it because the emotion of depression, and you know it, is really confident and really strong as it rules your life. And so I'm just kind of wondering, what, what strong emotion is manifesting in your life right now? Is there anything that is just kind of taking over, ruling you, and being for sure that it is right? I don't know if it's anger, if it's depression, mania. What is the strong emotion taking over in your life right now that feels so confident that it is right, no matter any contrary truth to address it? If you don't have one of those emotions right now, you will soon. And some of you over the holidays, your emotions are going to sit out to destroy you. I know you're busy right now, but I'm telling you what. Once you calm down, once you calm down from your busy life, some emotion, I don't know what it's going to be, is going to try to take over your life. And you're going to wonder, where in the world did that just come from? So what I want you to do is this. I want you to try to understand what's going on inside because what's going on inside usually talks about a part of your life that you need to address. When we have these strong emotions, it usually means we have issues we need to deal with. And so this morning, I'm not trying to get you to a point where you're emotionless. For all you cool guys out there who act like you have no emotions, that's not where I'm trying to get you to be. I want you to feel what you're going to feel, but not be ruled by it. So we're not going to walk around here out of control, being ruled by our emotions, but at the same time, we're not going to be emotionless Let's feel what we need to feel. That's all right. But let's not let it rule our lives. And that's where we're going this morning in our counseling session. That's where we're headed. Hope you can stay awake and pay attention. This is your time. You came here this morning. This is for you. So let's go ahead and jump in and just keep in mind I just want to kind of give, some, give you some guidelines where we're going this morning. For all of you angry people in here, you're going to have to just be angry for a few more weeks because we're not going to deal with that till the new year, okay? 
So just be angry. And for all you who have envy in your heart, strong emotions of envy, you have to hold on as well. Because when we start the new year, we're going to start what has traditionally been called the seven deadly sins. So we're going to hold off on anger and envy. But for now, this morning, we are going to deal with the emotions of depression, despondency, hopelessness, and depression's cousin called anxiety. And so for any of you who have the strong emotions or have had or will have tomorrow, anxiety, depression, here we go. Let's jump right into it, and that we will. Let's go ahead and put up Proverbs 18.14. Now, you can look at these in your Bible. You can look up on the screen when we do these topical ones. It's kind of weird where to look, but I'll just put it up on the screen for you. Proverbs 18.14. It says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit... Who can bear? You know those people who are maybe in the hospital or those who are really close to you who have such a good attitude and a good mindset. When you have a good attitude and a good mindset, you can endure any type of sickness and suffering. There is a certain spirit that you can have within you that can help you cope with pain and problems in your life. It's a good heart. For example, Proverbs 17.22. It's a joyful heart. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So the heart that is full of joy is good medicine, no matter what the circumstances are in life. What's going on inside can help you endure suffering. You just think about Paul and Silas. Now, these two leaders in the early church were beaten, thrown into jail, and they're not in there complaining about their circumstances, but around midnight, what do they start doing? They start singing hymns to God. Because there's something that's strong within their hearts. That spirit of joy is in their hearts. And the joy that we're going to talk about it is not circumstantial. When you read the Bible, you're not going to find many verses in the Bible that say to you, Hey, look, man, you need to change your circumstances. And after you change your circumstances, then you will be happy. Not a lot of verses in the Bible about that. The Bible consistently seems to indicate something else. Let's take the Apostle Paul. He's writing to many churches who are suffering, who are being persecuted because they're Christians. And Paul doesn't say, you know what? Let's try to figure out a way for the baddies to quit persecuting you. That's not what he writes to the churches. He writes to the churches that something internally would happen to them so they can be strengthened and endure the suffering. For example, let me put this up for you. Ephesians chapter 3. 14 and 16, Paul says, For this reason I bow, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the prayer is for God to strengthen the inner being no matter how hard the circumstances, the more we know about God, we know his love for us, and the more he strengthens us in our inner being. Because I know what you want. I know you want me to wave a magic wand and change your circumstances. But we're going to talk a lot today about God changing us inside, giving us endurance to push through, to persevere, to be strengthened inwardly to press on. And the reason why our spirits need to be strengthened is because they're often crushed. Now, let's, let's put those two previous verses up together. 
Proverbs 18, 14, and 17, 22. It says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You see, a person with a crushed spirit has, in some sense, lost the will to live. A crushed spirit can take you out faster than a crushed body. A crushed spirit can take you out faster than a crushed body. When hopelessness and despair set into your soul and you feel like there is never going to be joy again. And when someone is depressed, when you are depressed, your strong emotion shouts out with confidence, I'm done, that's it, forget it, maybe you don't even want to live anymore. And many of you face it, and it's debilitating, and it takes you out. You feel like your spirit cannot go on, and it's like you're wasting away. It says a crushed spirit dries up the bones, and, and dry bones are not full of muscle. They're not full of fat, but they're skinny, and they're withering away as depression takes a toll on your life. When I was in seminary at Dallas, one of my professors Probably one of the most famous ones out of Dallas. He's a guy named Howard Hendricks. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe not. Pretty popular guy. He would talk to our class about one of the things he struggled with, a significant portion of his life, and that is depression. He would speak to huge crowds on Sunday, and on Monday morning he couldn't even move. Couldn't even move. And it's interesting, as I listen to other pastors and preachers come through Dallas, several of them have similar experience. And if you look at the you know, church history, you start to notice that some of the great saints of the past struggled with depression as well. Charles Spurgeon, for example. It just would take him out. And I know many of you have, have struggled with it, and it comes and it goes, and sometimes you know why, and sometimes you don't know why. But let's just ask the question, where does this stuff come from? Like, what causes it? Let's just spend a few moments trying to figure out what causes depression, despondency, this crushed spirit? Well, one of the things that may cause your crushed spirit is you have desires and longings in life that are not being fulfilled. Let me put up Proverbs thirteen twelve. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Delayed and unfulfilled longings in your life can really take a toll on your heart. It's like you feel sick. You feel hopeless. And it's like you're worn out from waiting. Maybe you're, you're waiting to get pregnant. And it's just not, it's not happening. Waiting just starts to take a toll on you. And it hurts your heart. Or maybe you're praying for someone to, to, to come to know Jesus, someone that's close to you, and they're not. They're not changing. That delayed longing takes a toll on you. Or, or, or maybe there's just some, some stuff going on in your life where you're, where you're waiting for a job or for or your career to take off, and it's not working, and it's taking a toll on your heart. And when, when the desire finally comes, it's like a longing fulfilled, like returning to the garden and eating of the tree of life. It's, it's refreshing and joy comes. But a lot of times in life, the longings that you and I have in our hearts, sometimes they just never come. And at times that can make us sick, inwardly sick, where our hearts and our spirits are crushed. And maybe it's an unfulfilled longing in your life right now that is really 
hurting you. But there's another reason or maybe possibility that can crush your spirit, and that's relationships. I don't want to say it's someone else's fault. That's no fair. But when we have relationships with other people, sometimes those relationships are not going so well. It can do something inside of us. Consider marriage. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So the godly life, a wife, she's a crown. She compliments her husband. She builds her husband up. But a wife who brings shame, a wife that doesn't fulfill her duties in marriage or in her role as the husband fills a role or a husband doesn't fill the role, whatever it is, that person, in some sense, can zap your strength. You see, when marriages are going good, it's like a crown. Everybody sees it. They go, wow, that is a great marriage. You must have a wonderful spouse. They are so awesome. But often when a marriage is going bad, sometimes you don't see it as much. It's like something's going on in your bones. It's zapping your strength. You can't even get anything done. There's something wrong, but not everybody sees it. So a lot of spouses, even within the church, a lot of spouses are silent sufferers. And it's not just married people. Because I know many of you who've had boyfriends or girlfriends or fiancés where it didn't work out. And it just zaps your strength. You can't concentrate on school. You can't concentrate on work. You feel so unproductive. And you may not ever want to admit it, but you are probably in some time, some sense in the past, maybe you were just depressed, crushed inwardly because of a messed up relationship. So I could just spend all morning doing this and say, okay, what causes depression? What causes us being messed up inside? What causes this crushed beer? We could go on and on and on. And I'm going to be brief and just kind of knock this all out of the way. We could say, um, maybe you're in sin. Yeah, some of you could be in sin, and that is causing your depression. That could be totally true. Maybe some of you inwardly have... Um, being spiritually attacked. I can't see it, but Satan, he's got something out for you. Demons are attacking you. I can't see it in the spiritual realm, but maybe that's causing your depression. Maybe some of you, I, I'm not a doctor, but some of you may have something chemical, uh, physical, hormonal, something's not right inside physically. And oftentimes it's like, maybe it's just the winter's coming up. It's not here today, but it may be here soon. It probably will. Maybe the winter season will just take you out. It does a lot of you. But often it's like a, a complex, lots of different stuff is going on, and we don't even really know what's going on. Sometimes there's no, no reason at all. We just feel down, crushed. And you say, okay, how do you get rid of it? Isn't that what you want to know? Like, well, excuse me, how can I get rid of that? I don't like the way it feels. I'd like to get rid of it. Okay, let's see. Let me fix you real quick. All right. Uh, if it's a sin issue, go ahead and repent. All right. Are you fixed? <laughs> All right. If it is something medical, internal, physical, go, go see a doctor. Maybe get on some medicine. I'm not opposed to that. That may, that may be issues just throwing you off. Just maybe, maybe, maybe that will work. Maybe it will. I'm not against it. 
Maybe some of you need to go to counseling because you have stuff going on relationally and, and these emotions are just coming up and you need to deal with them. And so you need to go to counseling and maybe that will deal with what's kind of going on inside. Maybe some of you just need to start over. You need, you need a new start. You need to move to a new city. You need, you need new scenery, new circumstances, just kind of a, a, a start over. And let me just kind of warn you on that one. The problem with starting over is wherever you go, there you are. Don't you wish you could start over and just leave your old, you know, just, I'm going to stay back here. So be careful with the starting over mode. I guess kind of what I'm getting at telling you all this is um, a lot of the times when you try all these things, whether it's medicine, counseling, spiritual warfare, praying in the word more, I, a lot of times what's going to really discourage you is the darkness won't lift. A lot of the time, it just doesn't go away. The darkness just stays heavy upon you. And, and you come to church, and you're like, can you, can you please give me 10 steps to get out of this? You pay all the money you had to get rid of it. But sometimes the darkness just won't budge. And this is where I want to speak to your heart. I don't have 10 steps. And my goal is not really try to make it lift and fix you. I'm going to share some things from the Bible, from Proverbs. That I think they're going to be helpful. I really do. I would share them. I didn't think they'd be helpful. And I'm not going to share anything else that I don't think it's going to be helpful, but only what I think to be helpful from the Word. And, and, it, and it's kind of three things, but if they're not steps. They're just kind of stuff. And I hope this is going to help you. And you, you can write them down if you want, but there's nothing you need to memorize. Hopefully this speaks to your heart. The first thing is this. Suffering is a recurring part of life. There's a real encouraging word. Suffering is a recurring part of life. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Now, it looks like when you first read that, you go, well, it looks like some people, when they're having hard times, they'll laugh and they'll make funny jokes, but inside they're hurting. No, 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 no. I don't think it's just talking about some people using laughter as a cover of the pain. No, no. I think this verse doesn't narrow it. I think it's talking about all people. And it's showing that the happiness in this life has limits. And I hate to tell you, but we often move from sorrow to sorrow with occasional bouts of laughter. Tim Keller, pastor, puts it like this. He goes, imagine you're sitting around the table with your family. This is going to be a really encouraging thought. You're sitting around the table with your family like you were at Thanksgiving. Maybe you will at Christmas. Every single person around that table is going to die. And get this. Someone, likely, sitting around that table is going to see them all die. Our bodies are going to waste away. We're going to see the deterioration in ourselves and one another, and then we're all going to die. Yesterday, with some of you, we were at a funeral of a woman who used to go to our church. She died after struggling with brain cancer for eight years. She was in her 30s, married, leaves behind a, a beautiful five-year-old daughter. 
Suffering is a reality that is in our lives. And if you understand that it's often the norm, then you will not think that something as strange is happening just to you that happens to no one else. And when these emotions start to overtake you and this suffering starts to be hard, you need to know this. Don't pretend like it's not happening. Don't pretend like suffering's not part of life. It's okay to be sad. Don't we want to tell everybody, don't be sad. Be happy. And there will come a time in heaven when we're with Jesus, there'll be no more suffering and pain. And right now we can have joy in the Lord, but that joy is not based upon happy circumstances. So I really want you to come to grip with reality that suffering and grief and aching is real. And it's often the norm. So don't think laughter's the norm and suffering and grief are kind of out here. Because if you think that, you're going to often try to cover it up. You're going to move from one party to the next party, or you're going to move from one positive Christian message. Just give me positive Christian messages. Give me positive Christian books. I don't want any of the negative stuff. Just give me the positive stuff. Smile at me. (laughs) But when we do that, grief just keeps rising to the top. (laughs) Grief keeps hitting at us. And yes, we will have joy in the Lord. But you understand that suffering is a part of life. That's the reality we live in in this broken world. But that cannot be the only message because that is really a bummer. It's the second part that's really encouraging. Let me put it up for you. God is with us in suffering. I don't know if it's going to help you, but God knows what's going on inside of you. There's a lot of people around you that don't have a clue what's going on inside you, but God knows the full extent. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness but no stranger shares its joy. No one knows the full extent of the, the sorrows in your heart or the joy in your heart and your, in this world. We can't understand what's going on in one another. That's why we need to be slow to judge someone else what's going on inside. But God knows. God knows your emotions. God knows what's going on. And you can never say to God, God you don't have a clue because you're somewhere up there and I'm down here and you don't know what I'm feeling. We can't say that to God. Do not say that to God because God says, you know what? I've been there. I came there. In fact, Jesus Christ stepped down into humanity. And when Jesus was here, he felt strong emotions. And what distinguishes Jesus from us is Jesus was not ruled by his strong emotions like we often are, but he had them. He had deep compassion. He had great sorrow. In fact, he cried when his friend Lazarus died, and he cried over the unrepentant city of Jerusalem. He had deep emotions. He got angry. Sometimes he got so angry at the religious leaders, and sometimes he got irritated and angry at his own disciples. Yes, he had joy, but it wasn't like the joy and happiness we think in our life. It was joy that was headed to the cross. And if you want to put a tag on Jesus, the Bible puts a tag on him and calls him this title. Calls him the man of the man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, 3 through 4. 
says he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus was deeply in touch with the brokenness of our world. He's called this man of sorrows. And what is such a bummer thing about him being the man of sorrows is that I contributed to that sorrow. You contributed to that sorrow because of our sin. And he took the full extent of our sin. And he was on the cross bearing our sin, our foolishness. And to top it off, he's bearing the Father's wrath because of our sin. And for those who repent and believe in him, he dies in our place. But get this. This is the amazing thing. The one who died in our place, the one who experienced the wrath of God because of us, is the one who is moved with compassion for us. Like, I do not even get that. It's like, Jesus, I totally wrecked your life. You're killed in my place, bore the wrath of God, and you mean the Bible tells me that you care about what's going on inside of me? You sympathize with me? Are you kidding me? This is, we're not making this stuff up. Are you serious? I mean, Jesus, eternal existence, Jesus, who cares, the Son of God, he, he cares about what's going on inside of me and my crazy, whacked-out emotions? Hebrews 4, very clear. 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So here's the deal. As we suffer with sin, temptations, strong emotions, Jesus says, yeah, I know. I know, I know, I was there. I, I, know what, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're feeling. Jesus did not give in to the temptations. He did not let the strong emotions rule him. And yet, he knows what we're going through. And he not, he's not just one of the guys who, who's like, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. I'm so sorry you're, you're feeling that way. No, no. The Bible tells us that he gives grace and he gives mercy to help us in our time of need. So as we're suffering, we can't just go, okay, I'm not going to share this with you, God, because you don't know. No, you just lay it all out. You say, God, I'm an emotional wreck. I am messed up. You know what I'm going through. Please come through for me. Give me mercy. Give me grace to help me in my time of need. The world consistently is full of suffering and sorrows. Jesus entered in. He knows. He can relate to us. Now, before I tell you the third thing, it, it's, it, before I look at the third thing, I, I just I want to talk about one more emotion. Can I do that? I'm going to do it anyway. And it's the one I don't like to talk about because it's been around in my life forever. It's, we're going to talk about anxiety. All right, let's just do that one. All right, anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety. Mm. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. <laughs> anxiety. You know, anxiety is like this fear of what may or may not happen. It's like this combination of worry and uncertainty in life. It makes you feel bogged down. And did you know that anxiety can lead to depression? Depression. 
Some of you wonder how you ended up in depression. You took that path of anxiety. It just, just totally crushed you. And anxiety can just make you feel so heavily disturbed and burned within your mind and heart. You start to rehearse. Anybody, any of you go to bed just rehearsing stuff over and over again? Wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're still rehearsing things. And what's a scenario? What's the situations that are threatening your life? And it just messes you up. And, and I would say that from birth, though I don't remember birth very well, but from my birth to about three years ago, Anxiety was probably the biggest problem in my life, probably. And I don't want to rehearse in, in counseling here with you now about all my anxious moments uh, when I was young. But when I was in third grade, this is ridiculous. When I was in third grade, I tell my kids this all the time. When I was in third grade, I missed 52 days of school. That's why I'm so stupid. <laughs> but when I was in third grade, it was 52 days of school. I pretended to be sick. I faked it because I was I'm scared of the kids. I was anxious being around. I couldn't stand to be around other kids. They're just so mean. And then in seventh grade, I could barely function in seventh grade. The kids are just driving me nuts, making me anxious. Then in 12th grade, I'm a senior in high school. So anxious to function around other people. Then I go off to college and then I pick the worst career ever for those who suffer with anxiety. I'm going to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? Everybody hates you when you're a pastor. You know, you stay up late at night all the time. I remember joining in the ministry just thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, this is terrible. Everything, and it was terrible until about three years ago. And you're like, well, what happened three years ago? Well, about three years ago, this is what, didn't happen. This is what did not change. It wasn't medication. I'm not opposed to that. Don't, don't throw anything at me. I'm not opposed to that, but it wasn't medication. It wasn't counseling. Not opposed to that either. And it certainly wasn't my changed circumstances. You see, what changed for me is that in no other time in my life do I have more people speaking truth into my life than I have right now. I look at your faces, and I know a lot of you. And when I start to feel anxiety coming on in a certain area, there's several of you that I can turn to instantly that will start to speak, bam, right into my life at just the right time. And so when I feel like it's going to overwhelm me, it gets knocked away. And I can go back into it quickly. I can go quickly back into it. Yes, but I have several of you that are speaking into my life all the time that, that keeps it away. And that's what the verse says. Do you see it? Proverbs 12, 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Huh. So this brings us to the third and the final point. Let me put it up for you. Here we go. Life-giving words must be given and received, no matter what strong emotion it is. Just the right words at just the right time can bring refreshment to your life, and just the right words at just the right time can bring refreshment to someone else's life. Let me put up two verses at once, Proverbs 15.30 and Proverbs 16.24. 
says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. These verses are very clear that encouraging words build up the spirit and, and the body. And I want to tell you, when you're facing anxiety and when you're facing worry, the last thing that you want to do is be around people. Am I right? All my anxious, depressed friends right now. Seriously, you do not want to be around people. And you will give every excuse in the world not to be around people. You will even show me a doctor's order. The doctor said I can't be around people. Sorry. No, 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 no. The last thing you want to do is what should be the first thing you need to do. You see, anxiety should not pull you away from community. It should make you further immersed in it. The more anxious, depressed you are, the more you should be in community because you need people speaking truth into your life, giving you wisdom, giving you insight, giving you encouragement. So when these emotions come on, and they will, you need truth. And so you find yourself in a deeply depressed state, anxious state. Even if the darkness doesn't lift, just be around people and listen to them speak truth into your life. It may not make the darkness go away, but it can give you some perspective. Submit to what others are saying. Be open to it. Listen to their encouragement. So what strong emotion rules you today? Anger, jealousy, fear, anxiety, depression. Let's not let them rule the day. Let's not let them take over our lives. What we're going to do in a moment, I think is going to be very significant. So listen to me here. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to remember Jesus who took on our sin and brokenness. But it's also going to be a time of prayer, and many of you need prayer right now, and we can cry out to God together, and we'll cry out for you and for mercy and for grace. We're going to have the elders for prayer. But, but listen to this, listen to this. Is it too much to come to church and not ask God for miracles? Come on. You're like, well, he just did stuff in the Bible. He doesn't do stuff anymore. Give me a break. Is it too much to come to church and not ask God for miracles? Let's ask God for a miracle today. Just at his will. And ask him, say, God, I've dealt with everything I've dealt with. I've done all I can do. The darkness won't lift. And let's just ask God to lift it. Do you think he would do that? He may. He might. Let's have faith and ask that. And in order to encourage that faith, I want to read you a letter I got from someone who had a miracle occur during one of our prayer times. This is several years ago, and this person was periodically attending our church while they were a leader at another church. And um, I'm not going to read all this, just, just, just bits of it. This is probably about seven or eight years ago. And it says, one of the times they attended was the spring while recovering from a serious and terrifying episode of suicidal depression that had gripped me for most of a year. Although drugs had some impact on some of the symptoms, they never completely took away the utter numbness and desire to die. I was so debilitated emotionally, spiritually, and physically. 
So this person talks about dealing with some of these things. And a couple weeks later, after God had a chance to work a little in my heart, a prayer call was offered after communion, which is what we're about to do. I went forward to be prayed for. I explained that I had been, been quite depressed and was in the process of recovering, and I would like God's guidance. I was anointed with oil, and this was the prayer. Almighty God, cause this person's name, cause them to fall so in love with Jesus that there is no space left in her for this depression. I felt like I had been struck. My heart was pounding, and I was actually dizzy as I made it back to my seat. Clearly, something had happened. Over the next week, most of the remaining depression lifted. I am alive today because God was present enough to prevent me from taking my own life the many times I wanted nothing as much as I wanted death. Am I healed? Lord God, you know. Obviously, I am for the time being. Am I permanently healed? Lord God, you know. This I don't know. But what I do know is that it doesn't really matter because I'm not afraid anymore. I'm filled with faith and trust in God. And that's what we're going to do. You want to be prayed for it this morning? We're going to pray for God to work a miracle in your life. And if that miracle does not come, we're also going to pray doubly that God will strengthen you in your inner being so you know how much he loves you and that you can endure during this time of suffering so that these strong emotions don't rule us, but we're ruled by God, his word, and his wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just asking you to work a miracle this morning and some of my brothers and sisters that the darkness would lift, the anxiety would be gone. And Lord, if you want to do that, I, I, that's what we're going to pray for. And we're also going to pray, Lord, and we ask you now to start strengthening them in their being to endure the darkness, to endure things that cause them to be anxious or angry or irritable or despondent or hopeless, depressed. May you bring truth. May you bring hope. May you let them know that you love them. You've not forsaken them. Lord, please, may these strong emotions not rule us. And for our brothers and sisters who are running away from community, Lord, may they run to your people and hear truth from them about your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we're going to ask, Lord, that you do something significant, significant in our hearts this morning, as you already have done and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.